Coach D here and welcome to the Standing O podcast. I am thrilled to introduce a guest to you today. I was really excited to meet her. See, the number one thing I discovered when I transitioned from the world of athlete to the role of coach was that there is just so much we, the female athlete, are not talking about. Our struggles, our insecurities, the little things, the big things, all of it, we carry it around in silence. Whether we are trying to be tough, fit in, whether we're afraid, or maybe it's just that we don't think anyone else will understand. When I was the athlete, I thought I was the only one. When I became the coach, I saw it. It's all of us. All of us who are carrying around and trying to play with a silent weight on our backs. And so that's why I started She Plays. And this podcast is to get girls talking. That's why today our guest is so special because she is talking. Rachel Style is the author of Running in Silence. Rachel is a nationally recognized eating disorder recovery speaker, and she founded her nonprofit also titled running in silence to further the awareness to coaches, athletes, and parents to tackle eating disorders in sports. Rachel is also a high school cross country and track and field coach in Michigan, and she is a proud cat mom. The cat even joined us on our interview today. So that was kind of funny. Our conversation, Rachel shares a lot of really important things. I don't feel like you'll uh, feel it's too heavy. I really think Rachel does an amazing job of providing encouragement, things to look for, tips and tricks that, you know, whether you're a coach or a parent or the athlete listening to this that you can take away from. And the best thing that Rachel does is she offers hope. Some of the important things we talk about are the difference between listening before responding. That one for me really hit home. The difference just hearing someone before you respond. Rachel shares about her perfectionism, her extreme perfectionism, and how that actually turned out to be more of a harmful personality trait for her. She shares about how disordered eating and eating disorders, how really they're gradual. So you know how lots of times we just want to find like an easy fix. She kind of really pointed out that we need to be aware of these things are gradual in progression. And Rachel really talks about the importance of reaching out for help, no matter where you see yourself in the journey, how important help and just overall mental, emotional wellness can be. And so if you hear yourself in these conversations or hear somebody that you love in these conversations, please, one, don't be afraid to reach out for help, whether it's a coach, a teammate, a friend, whether whether it's somebody you don't really know that well, like me, please Don't be afraid to reach out. You can also visit runninginsilence.org. Rachel has a lot of resources there. And then she also points us to the National Eating Disorder Association. And we'll link all of those 
in the notes for you. But again, there are things that we're, we don't talk about and there's really things that we should. And so I'm excited for you to hear our conversation today with the one and only Rachel Style. Well, hi, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> Thanks well, I'm for- so glad you're joining us on the yeah. podcast. It's so nice to meet you. This is great. I I'm so ex- honored to meet you. <laughs> well, cool. So I, I have found you looked at all your, your website and your Instagram stuff. And it just really spoke to me, um, running in silence and, um, we'll get into that, but I first, like, I want to know like who Rachel is, like, who were you as a young girl and like, yeah, just your backstory almost. I, right away go to the identity of a perfectionist because that's definitely what I embodied growing up, unfortunately. Um, And I say unfortunately, because it got to the point where I'd be in tears if I didn't get a hundred percent in all of my classes and my grades. And I would say that anxiety fueled a lot of that, but beyond the perfectionism, I was very enthusiastic about running (laughs) and excited to run. So even if all of my races weren't quote unquote perfect, I really enjoyed training and being able to have an adventure with running. I started running when I was five years old. I watched my mom run growing up. She had started running when she was 28 and she had me when she was 38 so she had been running since before I was born, during her pregnancy, and obviously as I was growing up. So I was really inspired by her. And I grew up in a really healthy household for the most part. I mean, you know, there'll be things here and there that weren't <laughs> perfect, but overall, we had a really healthy relationship with food. My mom always encouraged me to have fun with workouts. She's the one who really instilled that in me. And I love that I can still carry that with me even today as a cross country and track coach. So I would say my growing up situation was really good overall. It's the perfectionism Mm -hmm. and the very rigid personality that I had is what kept it not as flexible and maybe as happy as it could have been. Did you know, like when you were young, that these were tendencies or, or was it just like you'd get upset and you not have words to it? Like, how did you realize that this was a part of who you were? I would get upset and not have words for it. That's a great phrasing of what I was going through. I didn't recognize that it was anxiety. I just felt that something was wrong with me that I was broken and that I wasn't able to tell anyone what was really going on because I figured they would just dismiss it. They um, just wouldn't think it was that big of a deal. So anytime I was really worried about anything, I mean, it, it wasn't just food. Food ended up being the thing that I latched on later in life, but I would worry about getting really sick or I had, you know, like an earache after a plane ride when I was little. And I thought that was going to affect me for the rest of my life. You know, I'd go to the worst case scenario Mm -hmm. for things and feel like I couldn't tell anyone about it. And yeah, it was basically undiagnosed (laughs) extreme anxiety growing up. Gosh, how old were you with that earache? Like just to have that like core memory. 
Yeah, I was seven. I remember distinctly. Uh, I don't know how many people experience this on their first plane rides, but I was in so much pain when the plane was landing. And my dad kind of thought it was like, you know, her ear hurts a little bit and she's overreacting. And so I think his response to that made me think that no one would believe me about anything. And that's why I didn't really talk about much going forward because I felt that my fears were dismissed instead of addressed. And it's not to say that my that my dad is the root of all my problems, but that is part of what made me feel like I just needed to stay silent about things. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're a kid, like you can't blame mm-hmm. yourself for how you in- internalize that and made sense of it in the world. I Oh, this summer was reading this book called the story of us. And like, or it's like about the stories we tell ourselves and how long we attach to certain narratives before we kind of look back and be like, huh, maybe, you know, maybe that's not what they really meant or. Yeah. And it's interesting because actually my dad has a lot of anxiety. So I'm sure I got that from him and he didn't want his daughters to feel that anxiety. So yeah. anytime maybe I express that he just wanted to make me feel better by saying it's not that big of a deal. And so I've learned that over time too, especially through my whole eating disorder recovery experience. It's been enlightening to see, to reflect on what happened before and to see where my parents are kind of coming from and how much they tried to protect me too. What would you say would have been a better response? So instead of like trying to shift it and make you feel better, what would have been a better? I think just listening just hearing me out, being there to support. And I say that same thing about eating disorders, especially from a teammate perspective or a parent wanting to be there for someone in recovery or just going through anxiety, just saying, how can I support you? Or just being there to listen. That's, I think, all I really needed. Um, Because I think he was trying to reassure me before hearing me. I have a seven-year-old right now who, um, he's like a, a super sensitive, big feeler, you know? And I think like, I, I'm just like, okay, I need to hear him before I reassure him. Or sometimes I'm just like so busy or like it's after eight 30 and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I just like want to clip it. So I got to remember like, yeah, yeah. That's a huge lesson I learned in my eating disorder recovery, because I found that the more I spoke about what was going on, the better I felt. It didn't cure everything, but just to say some of these things out loud was like a weight lifted. Your, your story made me think of like, what was my core memory where I really, for the first time, um, internalized things in terms of like my confidence. And I like to tell a story of when I was in the sixth grade, a new kid moved in And I was always the fastest. Like I wasn't like school was harder for me because I wasn't a very good reader. Um, But PE was like my jam. And uh, I beat all the boys in everything, no matter what it was until sixth grade. The new kid moved in and we ran a school mile. And that used to be like my favorite day. And I still beat everybody I always used to beat but I didn't beat the new kid. And I like, that's when it became like a a conditional, right? Like I'm only Erica, the fast girl 
when I beat everybody, right. Regardless of if my time was better or whatever, it was like, that's when I started. I, that's like my first core memory of really making things about performance and conditional and like this or that. Right. Um, and so I've had to rework that. Like, I know it's a silly story, but it really is like my first memory of being like, I'm not good anymore. You know, mm-hmm. that like self-loathing and shame. Yeah. Yeah. I have found looking back on those things to be really important to see like where we come from, where those things started and not to constantly dwell on it, but just to help us moving forward. And I reflect a lot on core experiences in the past, like in the running and silence book that I wrote because I felt almost an awakening after being able to look back on those things and see where it took me later in life. Yeah, that's cool. So let's talk about Rachel, the runner, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, you started running when you were little, but like, when did the competitive Rachel and running and what was that relationship like for you? It, so I was started to get competitive even by first grade and you mentioned getting excited for the mile day in gym class. That was exactly me. I can totally relate. <laughs> and I was the fastest kid in the school, even against the boys. So I can't even imagine to have someone come in and yeah, be a little faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. So my main identity was definitely running. Everyone knew me as Rachel, the runner. Mm-hmm. And that was a confidence boost, but I think it was also um, a bit of a downfall because it became my whole identity to the point where when I didn't have a lot of friends in sixth grade, you know, I wasn't in the same class as most of my core friends. I depended on my running to be known. And I just waited till that mile day in gym class to feel like I could be myself and run this fast time, then maybe people would know me instead of Mm. developing or bringing out my personality. And I focused on my grades to be well-known. That was sort of, I used those things for my voice Mm. and that's not sustainable. And there's so many other better things about me than my performances and running or my grades. I just didn't have the words for that as a young kid. And I, again, I loved running. I didn't do it just for the performances. I really enjoyed the training process. I was so excited to run in high school. I couldn't wait to be a part of the girls team. And once I was a part of that, I was obviously still very competitive, but my parents prepared me like these girls in high school are super fast. You're going to have a lot of competition. And I did, and I embraced it. We had a really strong cross-country team. And overall, it was a pretty good experience. I had a few injuries here and there, but overall, a very steady progression through high school, great competition. I felt that I left good impact on the team with my personality by then. Obviously, my identity was still tied up in running, but running as a positive leader and role model for the younger girls too. I was a captain my junior and senior year, and I was very, um, I guess, proud to be known as someone, not just like one of the fastest girls on the team, but as someone people could look up to also. You've, you've brought up your book running in silence and you've brought up like your, your history with 
an eating disorder. So could you share with us a little bit about just kind of your journey with that? I've always felt that I had some body image issues, even from a young age, I had like a very large stomach (laughs) and I addressed this in the running and silence book also just, I was like all arms and legs and I had this round, cute little tummy, but (laughs) I had a babysitter who pointed it out. She probably just thought it was cute and funny, but I was so embarrassed because there's so much attention drawn to this tummy. Mm-hmm. And I, I was only like five, six. Oh okay. Yeah. And I just always believed this was this broken thing about me. Mm-hmm. And I would live forever with this extra weight on me, even though I look back on pictures and I wasn't heavier or anything, not that that would have been bad, but I definitely didn't see myself the right way or I didn't have an accurate depiction of what I really appeared to be or to look like. Mm -hmm. And through high school, I didn't really worry about my weight in terms of running or anything. I felt that my body size was fine. I just would have liked to appeared to appear differently. I thought girls had smaller stomachs than me. So again, the stomach thing was just (laughs) one little nagging thing in the back of my mind that I thought about, but I wasn't overwhelmed by, by the time I was running in high school until my senior year, going into my senior year of high school, my sister had started taking some medication that really reduced her appetite. And so being so close in age, we're only 15 months apart were kind of competitive (laughs) and I felt that, okay, if I just controlled food, I'd be able to control my weight. Mm. That's what started to be the fix in my mind to this larger stomach. And once I started to lose some weight throughout the school year, I noticed that my running times were a little faster, which was a huge dream of mine to accomplish. Like I wanted to be one of the best runners in the state. I was in the top 30 for cross country, which is still an accomplishment like that. I was an all-state runner. I still had some fantastic times. I was one of the fastest on the team, but I wanted to be even better than that. Like I said, I'd been running from a young age. I really, I felt like I put in all the hard work. I wanted to see some results And when I, once I made the dangerous connection between losing weight and running faster, that's what I really started to pursue to the point where nothing else mattered. The summer going into my freshman year in college, I was only focused on learning about nutrition and trying to lose weight. And I continued to run faster in college up until a point. And usually you'll hear from other athletes who have maybe gone through something like this, where they lose weight, their performances seem to do better. Sometimes, sometimes athletes see no improvement Mm -hmm. and then improvements will decline because the body is just not getting enough energy. And I ended up going into binge eating which is actually really common, but I didn't know it at the time. Again, I thought, oh, my body's just broken again. It's just not working for me. Something's not right. And of course I keep quiet about it because I think this is just something I need to fix. I think it's just a willpower and discipline issue. And of course my 
book goes into much more detail with all of that because it was constant ups and downs and affecting my performances. And yeah, it, it was a, a really rough journey because I felt I had to keep it to myself. Mm. That make like, that makes me sad Yeah, for you um, going through that. I'm sure like amidst that, amidst just the run, was it all consuming or did you have like, or was it segmented? Like I had running Rachel and my uh, eating struggles, but then I could be like school and friends, or was it just, this was consuming everything else? It was consuming everything else. And that's usually how you can tell there's some disordered, mm-hmm. something disordered about it because yeah, I, I say if anyone is questioning if they have an eating disorder, they probably likely do, or maybe some disordered eating, and especially if it's affecting so many other things in your life. So not it's not just affecting your weight, um, which eating disorders don't always affect appearances or body size, but more so how is it affecting you emotionally and socially with your relationships? I was losing my friends because I wasn't hanging out with them. I was just studying nutrition and I was focused on my running and counting calories. Or once I got into the binge eating, I was trying to find other ways of eating other different diets and yeah, just solely focused on food. I could barely even focus on my studies. I Mm-hmm. Again, detail a point in my book where I met with one of my professors and she said, you know, your exam, I had a B in the exam, which was fine. Like that's still obviously passing, but she could tell something wasn't right and had a specific meeting with me about it just to ask kind of what happened. And of course I didn't reveal everything in that moment, but that was a huge turning point where it's like, I've been Rachel, the runner, Rachel at that time, a fruitarian, cause I was eating only fruit and Rachel, the straight A student, but who was I really beyond all those other things that didn't really matter in the long run? I was going to ask, like, what, was there anybody, or what if there was somebody that was like, Hey, Rachel, like you just eating bananas. That's weird. Like what's going on? Was there anybody that other than this professor that said that, or would you have listened? Yeah. Well, A lot of people who, yeah, just hear pieces of this will think like someone had to have stepped in. But when you are next to me through this whole process or your family member, it's so gradual. My parents had always known me as someone who wanted to eat healthy for my sport. And that eventually turned into like vegetarianism. And then I found this raw food diet and I had all this like information I found to supposedly back it up. And I did a lot of research because I was obsessive about it. Um, Not quality research, but (laughs) enough for my family to think, okay, it seems like she knows what she's doing and she's performing well for now. Why mess with it? And Mm. I convinced my coach who didn't know a ton about nutrition, but he knew how dedicated I was to my sport. And I remember telling him like, I wouldn't do anything that would ruin running for me or I wouldn't ever try to. Right. And my professors, I mean, they were English professors. They didn't know anything about nutrition. Maybe I had found like the Holy Grail of food. It was that one professor who was able to see that it was 
maybe now affecting my studies. I'm not sure if she even knew food was involved with this at all. She just knew something was up. And that's what I try to stress to coaches too. Like you're not looking for someone losing weight or any kind of weight fluctuations, although that can be a part of it. You're looking for behavior changes. Mm. And when I started withdrawing from my friends, when I started um, getting really quiet in classes, especially in high school, those were some red flags. It's really tough, especially as a teacher. There's so many kids you're keeping track of and that perfectionist straight A student isn't always the one you're concerned about. But those were some behavior changes that indicated something wasn't right early on. And a few people noticed, but not enough for anyone to intervene. And again, I think that goes back to a lack of awareness around eating disorders and mental health at that time. Thank you for sharing all that. I mean, that point about how it's gradual, right? I can so see that. And I, I wonder if like people around you that are really close to you, if they hold guilt for not being able to identify it sooner or knowing how to help you or. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. Like I said, there's a lot of adults in our lives that have so many other kids they're focused on too. Um, my parents at the time were dealing with my sister and her struggles. She was more of the rebellious kid and I was that perfectionist. <laughs> kid. Yep. Yeah. Complete opposite. So of course they were focused on what was going on with her. I was getting good grades and running fast. So what was there to be worried about? Right. And with my coach, I was performing well. So if it's working, keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't taught anything about eating disorders. That's again, what we tried to do with running in silence, the nonprofit I founded to work on addressing that with coaches, because as a coach myself, I know we're not given that information. My teammates were all going through their own things through college. Like how would they know to look for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's complex and difficult, but I think we're getting to a point in society now where we're starting to learn how to check in with people around us and maybe notice those behavior changes in anyone. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you have taken on this platform to talk about it and not only just you use the platform, but you coach as well and um, such a good example. And I must say to hear you extend that grace to those people that love you, I think it's probably been so healing for your own journey as well. Yeah. I've learned a lot as a coach too. I, I really care about the girls that I coach and there's times where I look back on some things and like, I missed that and I feel horrible, but I know I was doing the best I could at the time. And we are going to miss these things. I think at least being aware and doing our best to look for it and check in is the best we can do. And some of these things are really well hidden. Before we get into some of like your tips and tricks on like what we can do as coaches, as parents, even as teammates and how to identify them and help um, maybe our teammates who are struggling, what was your moment of recognition and then your decision towards healing? How, what was that like? Even with my own recovery process, it was gradual because there were a few moments of recognition where especially when I first began binge eating, I knew something wasn't right. Like 
I thought, okay, maybe I did have like disordered eating leading up to this, but I'm healed now because I'm doing this raw food diet. (laughs) I figured that if I just ate a certain way, I'd be able to heal my broken body. And then when I started binging continuously and couldn't stop and felt just this never ending hunger for months on end, I knew something was wrong. But again, I was scared to talk about it because I thought people would just tell me, oh, it's okay. Just eat less and exercise more or just Mm -hmm. stop. (laughs) And most people have heard, like, you can't tell someone who is struggling with anorexia to just start eating. And so to tell someone who is going through binge eating, which is just as valid of an eating disorder to just stop binging, it's not that simple especially with my history of restricting food for so long. And so I was silent about it for a long time. The binging is what I really didn't like. And I ended up reaching out to my mom through an email. The first conversation with her was not smooth, (laughs) Um, which I think is pretty common with a lot of people. And it's good to acknowledge, yeah, sometimes those first conversations aren't great, but it's really worth reaching out to someone. Um. And that's when I started to acknowledge it more. My mom offered to get me professional help. Yeah, that was a bonus. Um, And I refused because I thought my eating disorder wasn't bad enough. I was at a weight that many would deem healthy. So why I just thought it would be weird if I went into treatment at a healthy or a seemingly healthy body weight. I didn't think anyone would believe me. And yeah, so again, it just took steps slowly over time for me to really come to terms with this as an eating disorder. I'm worthy of getting help. Anyone who is struggling deserves to get that help, no matter where you're at. Even if you think it's just, you know, in quotes, just disordered eating, Mm -hmm. get that help sooner rather than later, because that recovery process can take a long time. Where do you direct people that get help? Usually... Now, the National Eating Disorder Association is the biggest nonprofit platform for all the information about eating disorders. It's a great website. There's a helpline on there. I I speak more specifically to coaches and athletes. So on the runninginsilence.org resource page, there are some treatment programs that I know of that treat athletes specifically. You can also find support groups in the area. That's how my mom found one for me. She just Googled it and we found a support group. We found an eating disorder therapist and dietitian. I often direct coaches to eatright.org, which is a great place to find a registered dietitian in your area. Um, it could be a an eating disorder dietitian if you need one there too. I would say those are great places to start. As a coach what are some of your suggestions that um, maybe it's language we use instead of saying this, say this, or instead of doing this, do this, or even like, what should we look for? What conversations should we start with our kids? I mean, I know that's a loaded question, but what do you got for us as coaches to make us more equipped? Yeah. I often say in the talks that I give, We want to avoid any body shaming, food shaming. So there's no specific body shape that's going to make an athlete a better athlete. That should be left up to a medical provider. If an athlete is struggling with food or their weight, 
they should talk about that with a dietitian or someone who knows that person individually, because that is risky territory to go in as a coach who doesn't know that athlete medically. And even if we think someone might be struggling with an eating disorder, we're not in a place to weigh our athletes. Again, that should be left up to the medical professionals. And if we shame certain foods, like this is a good food, this is a bad food. Mm. We don't know what works best for an individual. Um, again, that needs to be left to a medical professional, like a dietitian. And I know that when I was restricting whole food groups, I actually wasn't running better. And when I took, you know, what we often deem as junk or bad food out of my diet, I, I wasn't performing any better. I was actually performing worse because I was restricting so much. I think having open conversations about mental health is really important too. We don't have to know everything there is to know about eating disorders or depression or anxiety, but just having that open door and building relationships with our athletes allows athletes to feel like they can come speak to us if they're struggling. We, I learned from Dr. Paula Quattrimoni, who is one of the leading eating disorders and sports experts in the U.S., and she does a bunch of Q&As on our Running in Silence website. She was talking about how we have, we don't have to do all these roles as dietitians and therapists, but we have a wonderful role in developing a relationship with our athletes. And we have like the spirit component where we're there to cheer them on and show them how to train and work with where they're at. So I don't go into a lot of specifics because I don't think we are in a place to give nutrition information, but we can support them and avoid talking about, yeah, specific weight, but have that open conversation about mental health. I mean, I have sat at so many track meets and you just hear the chatter around you like, oh my God, how does she get over those hurdles? Or like, how did they fit in that uniform? Or, um, I hear to a lot of my guy athletes, like you need to get stronger, right? Like they're telling them that they're puny and whatever. And I'm like, maybe they don't like, maybe this works for them. And yeah. So it's, I know it's often frequently targeted towards the female athletes, but I know, um, there's other things that we expect a male athlete to look like as well. Yeah. I mean, I have a full conversation with a guy, Matt Smith, who was a runner who struggled with an eating disorder on the running and silence YouTube channel. And it's really interesting hearing his perspective on Mm -hmm. things too. And we relate so much, like his journey is very similar to mine. He actually does a bunch of dumpster diving now. I can't relate to that, but it's really (laughs) cool. His whole journey with it. Um, so he's really interesting and it's important to note too, that this can happen in any sport. Usually we think gymnastics, ice skating, running, but this happens across the board. I know Joey Julius, who is a Penn state football kicker has been open about his struggle with binge eating. Mm -hmm. Mike Marjma was a professional baseball player and he's been open about his eating disorder. So yeah, this affects athletes across the board in any sport, any gender. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Just interesting to dissect it all, but I really appreciate, um, that, that encouragement you're giving to us as coaches to just, um, let go of like labels and really enforce a relationship with our kids. Um, anything else that you feel is necessary that a young girl listening should hear? I can't emphasize enough how important it is 
to seek help. Even if, again, if you think it's not bad enough, because I said that so many times to myself and I waited way too long. Yeah. I could have waited even longer. I, I reached out to my mom before I was even comfortable to do that. I'm really glad I did, but it was very late in the game and everyone is deserving of someone to help them mentally. I think everyone could benefit from going to a therapist, whether you have an eating disorder or you're struggling with anxiety or depression or just everyday struggles. Like we all could use that. We all go to get a physical from our doctors Mm -hmm. and why can't we get something like a physical for our mental health too? We're starting to normalize it more, but everyone, everyone has a past. Everyone has, yeah. Like we talked about earlier, core memories that can really develop into something bigger when we're older. And I wish I could have said that to myself from a younger age, that it's okay to get that help. You deserve it. And you're more than just an athlete or anything else you've been identifying with for so long. That's powerful. Thank you. Well, before I ask you some final fun questions, um, I just want to just acknowledge you for just having the the courage, the bravery to share your story. And I know that, um, the, sometimes the, it can feel like hard to relive all of the things that you've gone through. And so just know that it really is impacting people and it's making a difference. And these are conversations they're hard, but we should be having them. And thank you for providing avenues for coaches and parents and kids to have them. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for providing this platform. I think it's a great way to reach more coaches and young athletes. Well, thanks. And I'm also excited to announce that you'll be joining us in person for our coaches conference. Um, I'm so excited. um, Yeah. On November 7th. So I just know that the coaches in attendance are just going to be so excited because they're going to have questions and you're going to be really impactful. So I'm excited for that. Thanks. All right. I've got a couple quick fire questions for you. All right. So when you're running, what is the song in your headphones? The one that you must have? Okay. So I, I can't run anymore, which is a whole nother part of the journey. Okay. Um, This is new information. Yeah. Yeah. I, I run like I dash across the cross country (laughs) courses to get to To catch your athletes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I suffered a really big knee injury. Oh goodness. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I can't really run much anymore, but I bike. Oh, so I guess when I'm biking, I don't even listen to music. I listen to YouTube videos <laughs> on the YouTube, like the motivational uh, YouTube. My husband does that. Not even motivational. Like I just love <laughs> absorbing information. I just love learning. Um, I, it's funny actually, because I was so involved with the nutrition and running for so long. Like that's all the information I had in my head that when I had this big moment of shifting away from all of that, I'm like, wow, there's a huge world to learn about. And yeah, so I have been trying to catch up from being such a young mind for all these years with running and now just absorbing a bunch of information. But when I was running, I would actually listen to a lot of classical music. I, I was also a pianist pianist. Oh, very cool. Well, that, um, I mean, the perfectionism plays into that, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But Firebird okay. was my song when I was running. I just, I loved it. That's, it's an intense classical piece, but it's great. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that, but I mean, let, like, let's go backward just a second. Yeah. Of like, 
your identity was Rachel, the runner, Mm -hmm. right. And look at you now. And you're like, I can't even run, but yet you seem happy. You seem whole, like you're making an impact and you're not even the runner anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I absolutely miss running. Like Mm -hmm. I will tell people I'm still grieving that, but I am married. I'm a proud cat mom (laughs) (laughs) right now. I really enjoy coaching. I, yeah, my personality is just way more fun. I think Mm -hmm. I'm much more outgoing and happy overall. And it's not Mm -hmm. just based on one thing. It's many things. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very cool. All right. What is your go-to post-workout snack? Mm, It changes so much. (laughs) Um, I, okay. So I do get kind bars a lot, you know, those nut bars with dark chocolate on it. Oh my gosh. Those are so good. Yeah. I would say that. I like, look right here. I just ate one. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. My, when I like, when I was competing, my like go-to snack was trail mix. I always, Mm -hmm. I might, yeah, my husband teases me about it, but it was like, I don't know why. I mean, but that was my salty and sweet. Uh, yes. That was my yep. go-to back then. Um, when you were growing up, who were like, whether you had physical posters on your wall of like these athletes or these people, or maybe you just like followed them in other ways, who were those people that you had on your walls growing up? Steve Prufontaine for sure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. There was one poster with his quote about if you have this gift and you don't give it your all. It's, mm-hmm. oh, I, I forgot exactly what it was, but that was right next to my bed. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that actually a lot, but no, yep. that's fun. what is a goal you're working towards right now? Actually reaching more coaches through the running in silence nonprofit. That is a huge goal of mine. I'm trying to reach <laughs> it's a lofty goal, but all of the coaching clinics around the country for cross country and track, I just started speaking to more volleyball coaches. I have seen how it has impact many of the coaches I have been able to reach. Again, I believe they deserve that information. I wish I would have had that information from the start. And so I want to get to those, those people because it ultimately will benefit their athletes. Awesome. Well, I will help you in any way I can get you in front of more coaches. (laughs) Okay. So our, my final question of the podcast is it's called the standing O podcast. I shared a little bit about, you know, what the standing O means, you know, we see it in sports every day where someone has a great performance and we give them an ovation, but really at the heart of it, what I hope to transpire is that people learn to stand for themselves. So Rachel, whether it's big or small, what would you say is a standing O moment for you? When I decided to stop running and it's so, it was so tough, but it ultimately just gave me permission to let go of what I'd been holding on for so long. There's this quote, oh, I forgot who said it, but everything I've loved has claw marks on it. Um, yeah. Cause like I said, I still grieve it, but I'm really glad I let that go for some time to allow myself to find who I was outside of that identity around running. And I'm really proud of the person I've become. I'm not perfect. And I love that. That's powerful. Well, I'm giving you 
a much needed ovation. Thank you. Cool. Well, Rachel, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And I'm really excited to see you in November. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Welcome. I am so grateful that there are people like Rachel style who have taken their past struggles, their stories, things that may have once brought them shame and they are turning it and providing hope to so many more. It's powerful and it's encouraging. And having been a female athlete, having coached so many athletes, both boys and girls, there is not a week where food or imagery of what an athlete should look like or be like that doesn't pop up. And some days we deal with it great and some days we don't. And so it's so important to have places and to have people that you can look up to, that you can find information and places that you can go to for hope and for healing. If that's you, I really hope that you can reach out. Whether it's to me, whether it's to a parent, remember, it does not have to be perfect. Just simply ask for help. We will have all things Rachel Style and her running in silence in the show notes. Um, So many great resources are found at runninginsilence.org. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful for you staying through this whole conversation. And until next time, this is Coach D and I'm cheering you on. Right, right, right.